This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we're learning to invest just like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. And by that, I mean really like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. A lot of people get confused about this and think that we're doing value investing or some sort of low PE kinds of things and that's what Buffett does, but we're not doing that. We're doing what Charlie and Warren have been teaching for 60 years, what I've been doing for 30 years, and my daughter Danielle has been doing for two or three years. And, three or um, four at this point, I four. have to say. And it's not- It's, it's been a little while. And it's very different than than what I think most people think it is, and it's very different than what most of the professionals do who try to emulate Buffett and Munger, because mm-hmm. it's very hard to do as a professional. It's very, I, I don't want to say easy, it's very simple to do as a amateur investor because you control your own money, but as a professional, you have to deal with your clients, and that becomes a real problem. And we'll talk about that today a little, because we just are at the Berkshire annual meeting right now. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We are recording this live in Omaha, uh, actually in person, which is pretty exciting. And uh, it's been been a wild weekend. My voice is a little gone, as you can hear, because I've been talking for about three days straight. Danielle has been mobbed. She's quite the little celebrity running around here. It was pretty cool when she says we're actually together together. Mostly when we do these podcasts where she's in Zurich and I'm in, in the US and this is great that we get to get together at least once a year with my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the book Invested has been out there now for a year and as a result yeah. has a lot of fans that are we're excited to to see you for sure. And a lot of them came to your conference, which was so cool. It was amazing. Thanks to everybody who came. It was pretty funny. So just background, um, I spoke at this first ever conference about women investors and getting more assets under management of women. And it was the first ever one to be about that. And Mr. Buffett actually came and he showed up. It was a surprise. He came in at the very beginning um, to support this initiative of getting more assets under the management of women. And it was extraordinary that he did that because the moment he comes anywhere and he knows this, it brings so much attention to that cause. So he did it on purpose and it was extraordinary. I got to speak on the same stage as Warren Buffett. Now the meeting was Friday. Um, the, the Berkshire meeting, by the way, in case you're uh, not aware of what we're talking about, is the annual meeting for Berkshire Hathaway, which is Warren Buffett's company. He and Charlie are the chairman and the executive chairman. Yeah, so it's their shareholder meeting that they hold every year. And it's just become this convention of investors. People call it the Woodstock of capitalism. It's 40,000 people flying to Omaha, Nebraska from all over the world just to see these men speak. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, we come here and we know a lot of people from being 
in this world for a lot of years. We come here. You, your first year ever was last year, Dad. Well, this the the we was the royal we. It wasn't actually the royal we. Is the generalized we of the ah. investor community. Ah. I I sort of avoid crowd scenes yeah, like this. Like I, I don't really go to NFL football games, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm I'm a bit of a recluse in that way. So I I finally I have so many coaches here from our from our company, Rule One Investing. And last year I I broke down and came and it was really quite fun and a good time. <laughs> so I'm back this year, barely. <laughs> I sort of didn't make it to the meeting. I flew in <laughs> I flew in after the meeting was over and watched the meeting in the comfort of my office and took really good notes. And I'm going to say that that was really quite fun. I to, <laughs> I'll, I'll actually go to the meeting next year. I just had a business thing. It's that came almost up. like a, what's a good example? Like, a, I mean, I would, what comes to mind because I watch Formula One is it's like a Formula One race or like maybe even a football game or a marathon. It's, Actually, Those maybe are really different. Things. They're really different, yeah. but they're the same in the way that they may actually be a better experience to watch them on television <laughs> rather go. than going physically to the place. But going physically to the game or the race or the marathon is just all about the experience of being right. there and the other people. And sometimes you don't even necessarily see so much of whatever that thing is. So, exactly. <laughs> so in this context, I think my dad does have much better notes than I do because I did sit in the audience for most of it, but I also spent some time going down to the, they have this essentially like a mall that they create in the basement of the convention center where they hold the meeting. I mean, they literally hold it in the basketball arena. They have 40,000 people come and in the basement they put together um, a giant display shopping area of all of Berkshire's consumer facing companies. And you can literally go and buy, they own Brooks running shoes. You can go buy Brooks running shoes with Warren's face on the back. It's adorable. You can go to Fruit of the Loom. I swear the longest line in the whole place was for Fruit of the Loom. There was like what? a friend of mine heard this to guy. To buy t-shirts. To buy t-shirts and underwear. And underwear. A friend of mine walked out on Friday and some guy walked out next to her and he with like his bag from Fruit of the Loom and he goes, I can't wait to get back to the hotel and put on my new underwear. <laughs> I mean, you, you can't imagine the behavior here unless you come and see it. It's just absolute fans of, of Warren and Charlie. Uh, someone told me a story. I don't know if this is true, but it's so cute. I'm going to repeat it. Okay. That Monesh Prabhai, who is a phenomenal investor, manages a billion dollars. And we've recommended his book, you know, uh, Dondo Investor on the podcast many times. And and he's a, he's just a wonderful person and gives of his time and, and tries to educate people about this. And someone told us yesterday that he came to one of the meetings in a fanboy tie, he had put his picture standing with Warren Buffett, the picture on the tie, <laughs> was wearing the tie. We don't know if this is true. We don't know if it's but true. But I hope it is. I do too. <laughs> Monish, let me know if that's true. It's just hilarious, actually. So you have- So it's that's really, the vibe. It's that's like, the vibe. It's a whole bunch of people who are mostly just like, not bazillionaires, or if they are, it's because they bought Berkshire shares really early. Right. And it's just like a lot of regular people um, excited about buying really cheap 
underwear at Fruit of the Loom because no, it's not. they they're, are, Dad. Well, they it's, are because it's, it's all on sale. It's that's what just people crazy. like wait all year. We went to, to buy it on sale. We went to Borsheim's yesterday just to go do it. We got this great uber guy Borsheim's who is Borsheim's is a jewelry store that's it's local just, in Omaha I thought it was a local mid-America mall jewelry store so did I and we roll in there and we're looking at this case of really big stones like green big stones and I'm not good at stones you know but I'm like <laughs> I'm like wow, those can't be real emeralds because they're huge. I'm talking half an inch across stones and dozen of them sitting there in the case. And so there's old curmudgeonly guy behind the counter and I go like, so are those emeralds, like a total guy, right? Are those emeralds? And he just goes, yes. And, and I mean, really, seriously. I knew I was looking at something that was in the six figures. Every one of those stones and which means in this little box of 15 stones in a ring setting, there was over a million and a half dollars sitting there easily, easily. Yeah. Right? And that was not alone. And that was not, that was one little box six inches across. And this place is huge and was filled with those kinds of boxes. Oh, and there was some security, let me tell you. There was a lot of security. Yeah. And people, we're buying $100,000 of stuff. I mean, it was like no thing at all. So they do they do a sale. You get a sale you get a sale price if you're a shareholder on this weekend. And I know people wait all year to come to Borsheim's on the shareholder weekend and like buy the engagement ring that weekend cuz you get some particular I don't I actually don't know what their discount is, but let's say it's like 20% off. Like that's a lot. Well, that would be know? a lot. Yeah. And they already have good prices in the first place. Right. But they just sell so much on the weekend because people like wait and come and get these amazing deals of Borsheim. Mean, I, really, I, I really thought it was just some cute thing for the Berkshire weekend, but no, we're talking. It's serious. Serious. Like, yeah. There this were is huge diamond necklaces. These are not the kind of things I think that move that much in Omaha normally the rest of the no. year. And think about the genius of it. I mean, Buffett is all about a business with intrinsic characteristics that protect it. That's he, all of his businesses attempt to have that and expand it every year. And Borsheim's, I'm thinking like, what in the world could this mid-America, middle-class jeweler have to offer that's some sort of big moat, right? Oh, what's your opinion? Well, my opinion is they have this, they have an enormous brand moat and they may have a price moat relative I think it's to price the, yeah i mean and ultimately the price moat is what would sustain them the most um but to be able to sell a, you know a hundred and ten thousand dollar emerald ring at a at a discount and still make money doing it um you're kind of like at tiffany's but with a with a bargain yeah, I think basically. that's the moat. I think it's Tiffany's with a bargain. I think that's the moat. <laughs> I didn't know that until yesterday. I mean, same thing at the furniture mart. We actually didn't make it to the furniture mart. We need to do that next year. But people wait all year to come to the furniture mart on Berkshire weekend and buy the couch that they want because it's on such a huge discount and they'll deliver anywhere in the U.S., so, oh you know, God. like I, one of my friends here said his dad was waiting to buy three mattresses for a rental house that he bought and he just waited for this weekend because he knew they'd be such a great deal. So this conference that I spoke at on Friday before the meeting, um, which Mr. Buffett showed up to, which was so amazing. I think I already said this. He um, came as a surprise. 
and just walked in. There was this. I, so here's the thing. I'll tell you what happened, but I missed the whole thing because I was signing books at Creighton University. Oh no! And he came. He came. You got there. So I, I, I was speaking last on the last panel. So I thought, okay, I'll go, but I'll just go a little bit late and I'll miss the first speaker. Well, he was the first speaker. So I missed him. And I could have been there literally three feet from him and probably shaken his hand and totally missed it. But I watched the video. You guys can watch the video. He gave a really nice little chat, a little talk. um, And he actually said a couple things he said at the meeting before at, uh, at our Variant Perspectives conference. Like he talked about you can see it on Twitter. If you go on Twitter, or it's on YouTube. So if you go on Twitter to Variant Perspectives Twitter, they have a link to it on YouTube or you can find it on YouTube under Variant Perspectives. And I will also tweet it and put it on my Instagram so you can look at my stuff, which is all under Danielle Town. Um, and he talked about how somebody asked him if men and women invest differently. And he said, you know, money is money. Like, doesn't matter who's the stock is a stock the stock doesn't know if you're a man or a woman um and he said that uh that thing about aesop and how uh, there's a a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush and investing is all about deciding what's in the bush and how far the bush is away uh, how far away the bush is and if there's two birds or three birds or four birds and how much you're willing to risk to find out (laughs) and how certain you are and uh and so basically he said, you know, anybody can do that, um, which was an interesting answer. It was a little bit of an old school answer, I think, basically like nobody cares who you are as long as you make green money. Yeah, I've heard him say that, um, you know, if you can make 15 percent a year, people will and you could be on a deserted island in the middle of shark infested waters. People will swim there naked to get to you. <laughs> which I've, I always teach at my classes about this because I want to see women rise in this yeah. field. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and there's no reason, there's no glass ceiling if you manage money. There's none because you can manage your money. And when you make that 15% a year or better and people start swimming across shark-infested waters, they don't care what your religion is, your color or your gender or anything. They just want you to do that track record for them. And the vast majority of people in in America anyway, have no one who will do that for them. Mm-hmm. They're, they're being sent to robo advisors, you guys. If, if you're a woman and you're listening to this, your competition is a robo advisor. Your competition isn't Morgan Stanley, it's not Goldman Sachs, it's not Wall Street. They don't want the vast majority of people who have money in this country because they're too small. Yep. That's true. But if you're willing to start small, and Buffett mentioned the power of that, I think a couple of times, the the power of learning about something by, oh, it wasn't Buffett, it was Tom Gaynor over at Markel, where Tom was talking about how do you learn about being investing in China or India? He says, you have to start really small. You crawl, you walk, you run. Oh, yeah. That's exactly the right advice for for everyone who, who wants to be in this profession. You crawl then you walk, then you run. And crawling means you start with your own money at $1,000, $2,000, whatever it is. And you go slowly. And you go slowly. You take your time. Yeah. You be patient. Yeah. And you learn your lessons on a thousand bucks. Yes. Right? Yeah. And then as you, as you, so really there's nothing holding you back from, from 
arriving at a place where you're making a consistent, provable 15 to 20% a year by following Buffett and this method of investing. It's worked for 85 years. It doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. It's going to work. Yeah, and I, I think, think that's what he was driving at. I, that is, I agree. And I think also, frankly, I think women just, I'm not, I don't know if it's better or worse, but women just have some overall, some different skills, um, particularly around just understanding human behavior a little more easily. Again, total stereotype. Not every woman is like that and not every man is like that, but just in general. And there was a woman who spoke on a panel, which I was there for, named Meredith Jones, who wrote this super interesting book about women investors and it's called women on the street meredith jones and she <laughs> what huh? it's called women on the street i think that's what it's called women of the street <laughs> either way <laughs> is that bad either way <laughs> let's go with women of the street <laughs> is that bad <laughs> are you serious now I need to go look it up. Oh, I feel really bad. She's so smart. She was like such a just clear speaker. And and the point of her book is like all of this research she found about women investors and how they invest better and have better returns. And then she goes and she interviews a whole bunch of different really successful women investors about their strategies, mostly long-term investors. And it just, I just, I found it so amazing, whether you're a woman or a man, to just get to read these descriptions of the way, like, they handle their emotions during the financial crisis and the way they handle it when, like, a stock they pick goes down. And, you know, these are the things she asked them. And you don't usually get to hear about these things from professional investors. Oh, that was, yeah, that's absolutely right. Great title, though. I love the title. Oh, God. I now I have to go grab so it. It's going to be such a good We're time. pausing. Okay. It is Women of the Street. Mm -hmm. You're you, like cracking up. This never even occurred to me that it had some kind of double entendre. Who's publisher? Um, Whoever it know. is. They sat in that room in the city. Palgrave McMillan. They laughed and they laughed. Then they discussed it. Are we being, are, is this going to be like perceived really badly or is it a cute little joke? <laughs> are we calling what are we calling what are we saying in our title about right. women who are on or nobody oh. even thought about it except you until right now <laughs> women of the street why female money managers generate higher returns and how you can too I by meredith it. jones I love it. it's i've read about half of it super interesting i recommend it um so she spoke and a bunch of other really interesting um, fund managers and people who allocate money to funds like they work for large um, pension plans and those kinds of things. And then uh, and, and then me and the amazing Laura Rittenhouse and uh, an accountant from KPMG, Kelly Rao, who focuses on um, women investors and how they can get more women investing and investing their own personal money. And then our token male, Dan Hansen, who focuses on impact and runs an impact fund. So it was just like a fantastic time. So I'm trying to get video and maybe by the time this podcast comes out, well, it'll come out tomorrow. Um, we'll get, we'll get video by then of, of my panel. I think a huge part of what makes Buffett so successful is that he and Charlie stick to what they understand and they they kind of they they unlike most people and this is really important to grasp I think unlike most people out there they know what they don't know 
and they stay away from it. Whereas most of us have this human frailty of not knowing what we don't know. We, let me put it like this. We know what we don't know. Okay, that part's actually pretty easy. And we know what we know. That part you learn. It's that place in the middle. I'm probably not saying it quite right. It's that we don't know that we don't know. And Charlie and Warren have less of that than anybody I have ever mm-hmm. followed. Mm-hmm. They they don't have that that gray area where they don't know what they don't know. So they're able to stay away from the edges of their circle of competence better than most people do. So when I made my mistakes, it's because I thought I knew and it was hubris. I didn't. I just didn't realize it, right? I didn't realize this thing was more complex than I thought. And um, I was one of the things Tom Gaynor said yesterday is that I think you you chuckled. We both looked at each other and sort of laughed is that his somebody asked him why he has so many stocks in the portfolio if he's a Buffett kind of investor. And he said, well, they're concentrated more than they look like um, in industries. And secondly, that they buy a little bit. Oh, yeah. And then, it get, then they get serious about it. Right. It makes him more focused yeah. about it. And that's where you. So what he was saying is that he had a whole bunch of tiny holdings because he was seeing if he really knew enough to buy more. Exactly. And we sort of like elbowed each other. <laughs> yeah, because that's exactly what Danielle pointed out to me that I've been doing for 30 years and didn't really have a name for it. Didn't really think about it. And what, what did you call it? I don't know if we have a name for that. I mean, I, my practice shares idea yeah, is is not shares. is kind of that. Yeah. Kind of that. Kind of that. So what you're talking about with, with women having an edge in some way, whatever that is, without, you know, maybe there are certain gender stereotypes that are stereotypes for a reason. There's a lot of women have that advantage or whatever. Whether whether true or not true, it doesn't matter. What what it is, what's important is to know you you try to figure out what your edge is. What do you know more about? Yeah, totally. Totally. You know, what are you really good at people? Can you sniff out management teams that are really, really good and management teams that aren't, um, which, you know, is one of the four things we're looking for, right? Identifying a great management team. And for venture capitalists, that's the most important thing you can do because the product's likely to change on the way to the top. And so whatever your advantages are, you want to use them. I I was just thinking, Buffett comes back to that over and over again in, in these meetings about that. Finding about human behavior. Yeah. 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 I think he said that this time that his actually his facility with numbers has slowed down a little bit in his graduated age. And uh, and yet his experience understanding human behavior has gotten better and better and better and better over time. And that is an edge. Yeah, it's a it's a very large edge. So if you're coming in with that edge, it's it's huge. They were also they were also talking about in the context of Amazon, like Berkshire just bought into Amazon. Sort of. I mean, they sort probably of. bought a small, very small. Yeah, one, it was either Ted or yeah, know, Ted Combs or Todd Wexler. It's funny. It's like you learn this stuff and like you kind of learn how things work. And it seems obvious that that was not Buffett. Like that was definitely Todd or Ted because they said that that's what happened. Right. And then I checked it out actually this morning and there are all these headlines. 
Buffett buys into Amazon because they saw that Berkshire Hathaway bought some Amazon right. and they got those things confused because they don't know the details. It's just when you when you sort of know what's going on, it's like, oh man, the news gets things wrong it, a lot of the time. It was so somebody was like, oh, what's going on, you know? And uh, and Buffett said, well, both Ted and Todd bought some man Amazon. And then the challenge was really from the questioner in the audience was, this is in value investing. Yeah, I thought that was a very interesting question. Me too, because we've addressed that in our books, I think. And and you don't hear Buffett address it that much, that we don't do value investing in terms of the classical kinds of value investing, which is looking for cigar butts, cheap companies, right? In fact, I had a guy sit down next to me in Austin's seat, right? When Austin got up and left for a moment, mm -hmm. this guy sat down and we and whispered to each other and you told us to be quiet. Remember that guy? Yeah, I yeah. remember you whispering. Yeah. And he basically said, what kind of, what kind of investor are you? And I said, you know, Buffett. And he goes, new Buffett or old Buffett? No, he did not. <laughs> what? Yeah. And I said, what do you think that means? Well, I know what it means because we continue the conversation. I said, Munger Buffett. And he goes, right. New Buffett. Oh, Munger Buffett is new Buffett. Yeah. So old Buffett means Graham Buffett. Yes. Old Buffett <laughs> means pre-Charlie Munger, wonderful company at a fair price, better than a fair company at a wonderful price. Mm -hmm. And uh, Graham was all about fair companies at wonderful prices. And his his sort of technology for finding them is what runs through all of us. That That's what's where you're looking at specific things that tell you the value of the business. Um, and then Graham would just buy a bunch of them, right? Cigar butts. Mm -hmm. Whereas Buffett, you buy a very small number. And the vast majority of people, including Tom Gaynor at, at Markel, are buying a large number of companies. They're more toward value investing. And Gaynor and these guys at Markel are basically saying, yeah, we'll come in and turn around a company. Um, if we feel like we're capable of doing that, blah, blah, blah. Whereas, and where they get real involved in management, whereas Buffett and Munger never get involved in management at all. If they have to change management, it's like a big deal. And that came up at the meeting yeah. as well. Yeah. With regard to 3G and the Kraft Heinz deal. Um, we'll come back to that, but I just want to finish my thought on Amazon real quick is that uh, they, he just pointed out that what we're looking for now is that you get, you're putting in, a little money now and you're getting a lot more money later. That's that's investing. Yeah, he said we're not value investors. All investing should be value investing. <laughs> right. Right. And so he was pushing back and he said our guys are absolutely value investors in the sense that we're buying something for far less than it's worth, expecting to make more money in the future. It doesn't matter about multiple, doesn't matter about book value. There are no metrics that we look at and say, oh, these are sacred metrics mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. What's sacred is we're buying six birds in the bush for one bird. Yeah. <laughs> and how long is it gonna take to get there? Yeah. That was really cool. That was really cool. Yeah, how far away it is, what the possibilities are in 10 yeah. or 20 years. Yep. And then Charlie went on to say, um, we, we're older and we're not so flexible. Um, <laughs> so if something as extreme as the internet happens, um, you know, others, other people are going to blow by you because they're more on top of that. He says, I don't mind missing Amazon. Yeah. I don't mind missing Amazon. He says, the guy's kind of a genius. He's a unicorn. It, it, you Which is so true. That. You couldn't have known. Right. You absolutely could not have known that that book company was going to turn into what it is. Now. Right. And then Charlie goes, but I'm a horse's ass for missing Google. Yeah. 
<laughs> Those guys weren't, they weren't dependent on being genius managers and operators. They had a, a way of seeing the search world. And Charlie said it was so frustrating because we were using Google ads and we were benefiting from Google ads with, I think, Geico or something. It was Geico, yeah. And we saw, we were using it every day and we didn't see this investment. And I felt pretty good about that because I bought Google. I, <laughs> I bought it after I was using their ads and I went, oh, oh. that's what's the deal with this. And you honestly, you had to have used their ads back in those days to understand that they were giving away all this stuff. They were going to be very hard to compete with. All these things Microsoft was selling, they were giving away. And they had a different revenue model that allowed them to do that that mm. nobody else had. And it was genius. And I felt really good. I saw and I felt really bad that I sold it later. <laughs> That's always my mistake. That you sell things? Yeah, I sell things and, and move on <laughs> when I should have held on to them. So um, I'm still learning, you guys. It is true. It's interesting to see like what it's like to really hold something for, how long have they had American Express? Like 25 oh, years yeah, or something? 70s. Since the 70s? Yeah, because American Express went to zero or negative book value and everybody bailed out of the stock. Um, and Buffett looked at it and went, this is one of the real breakthroughs in Buffett's investing is to recognize in that intrinsic value can include a lot of really valuable intangibles mm. that aren't on the books. Mm -hmm. And that has changed everything, right? So he bought American Express for its intangibles that he thought were very valuable and he was right. Mm. So they've so, held it for, let's say, oh gosh, 40 uh, years, 40 years. Yeah, probably ballpark and just held it. Yeah. Like think about how how much work is in that. Well, there's another thing that Charlie said, which was if if you was it Charlie? I am getting I know, it's hard and to Charlie remember. and Buffett cuz everything they're saying out here you guys for 2 days is just giantly important. Yeah. Um but one of them was talking about um it was Tom Gaynor again. He he talked about showing his board uh, what it meant in terms of real dollars. Oh, yeah, that was to so smart. The Tell them what happened. And what he did is he showed up at the board meeting with $2,000 or so in a briefcase stacked in $1 bills wrapped up in, in blocks. And he showed them the history of Markel's stock moving forward. He says, okay, here we are. We buy it. We're at $8. So they IPO'd at $8. At $8. So he $8. pulled out $8. Puts $8 on the table. And then... We went to 16, but what happened in the middle was we went to four, eight to four, then the 16. And then we went from 16 to eight to 32. And it, over and over again, this progression of doubling involved having, I think he said every single time. He said every single time. I mean, I'm sure it's a generalization, but he said every single time they lost half of the price before it doubled again. Right. Right. And he wanted them to really see what that looked like. Right. So that I think they didn't have, I don't know anything about Mar Markel. Um, yesterday was the first time I'd ever really heard of them or Tom Gaynor or anything. Um, so I have no perspective. But he said that last year wasn't such a good year. So I think that was his point to the board. Right. Because the stock went from, oh, get this. Okay. So we're talking about 8 to 16, 16 to 32. All right. Markel is now at 1,065. Oh, nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they've done all right. And he was trying to demonstrate to the board that this is a natural process. Yeah. And I, I think it was genius. And and Buffett, of course, 
tries to have people understand the same thing about Berkshire stock, which came up in the meeting in terms of buybacks. And I think it was one of the most important things that came up in the meeting is that people were criticizing him and trying to understand why he bought stock, a little bit of stock, a billion dollars relative to a hundred and I think he's got 140 billion now mm. in cash. So a dip in the bucket, um, a dip, a toe in the water in the third quarter at 207 average price. Now, I don't know if these are the facts, but this is what the questioner said were the facts. Buffett didn't dispute him. And then in the fourth quarter, the stock dropped down well under 200. I think it got as low as 180. And Buffett bought nothing. Um, and and Warren came back and said, well, we've been buying a little, you know, blah, blah, blah. So the guy's question was, look, if it was good at 207, why aren't you turning loose this 100 billions of dollars and buying the stock back in? And essentially, parenthetically, making it go up. Uh -huh. Right? Yeah. I want our stock to go up, okay? Yeah. So <clears throat> Buffett basically said nothing in direct response to that, which was amazing. Because what that guy was, the obvious answer to why Warren Buffett would not buy back a bunch of stock, $40 billion, $80 billion worth of stock at 200 or 190 is because he thinks he can use the money better somewhere else or sometime else. Right. So what did he, he say to it? Do you remember? He, I don't he, I don't remember what it, what his answer was. He he basically said, um, you know, we he went to this big lecture about how Berkshire has maintained its its uh, edge by having a lot of capital available. And it was better to have that capital available to be deployed quickly. And that that was something that Berkshire will always do. And what he wasn't saying was was between the lines here is that either he had a big acquisition he wanted to use the money for and didn't want to spend it, which didn't turn out to be the case, or he thinks Berkshire stock is going to be available at a 50% discount at some time in the future. Going back to Gaynor's point that you've run up a long way and that 50% drop is now due and it's happened to Berkshire repeatedly. Same exact thing. So 80 down or 80,000 a share down to 40,000 a share. So now it's at 300 some thousand a share. I think Buffett's camped out. I don't know this for sure. This is my humble opinion that Buffett is not going to deploy a huge amount of money of Berkshire buying back stock at two or $300 a share. And what he said was that we're not going to buy it back if we don't have a pretty big discount. Yeah, I found my notes on it. So he said he's we want to be sure stock. we want to be sure we repurchase only when the remaining shareholders are better off. Right. And what Which, that means is that it has to be at a big discount. And I mean, he look didn't, at the he didn't say that. He didn't say the here. second part. That was The implication is this stock is not that on sale. Yeah. That yeah. was because I mean, then I think he said something in terms of like 20, 25%. You know, it's got to be substantial. In other words, People have been arguing that the stock is on sale and he should be buying it back and proving that it should be bought back because it's at 207 and he bought some back. And Buffett basically came out and talked down the stock. I mean, I really think he, he wants to deploy $80 billion of this stock when it's at 150 a share. I think that he doesn't care at all about buying back Berkshire stock and he wants to buy other stuff when the market goes down and that's why he has the money available. It's just that he doesn't want to give a dividend and people can't 
think of anything else well, for I, him to do. I think that's actually both things are true at the same time. Yeah, that's sounds probably not, true. It sounds a little contradictory, but I think that you're right, that it's not that, oh, I can't wait to buy back my own stock. It's that I want to make a purchase that is going to really benefit the shareholders of Berkshire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if exactly. that turns out to be my stock at 150, I'll do it. Exactly. But I'd much rather buy, you know, I mean, maybe he'll buy Delta or something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, this is crazy. Buffett's got so much money in cash, he could probably buy all of the airlines with it. All I think Delta's like, I think Delta's what, 10 billion or something like that. I mean, he, maybe 30 billion. He could he buy could the buy, airlines. He could buy a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. There was another question about how he always talks about how investing in the index is so fantastic. And so why doesn't he just invest all of that extra money in the index and basically practice what he preaches. And he said, yes, I do say that. <laughs> and essentially um, it wouldn't produce what we want it to produce um, because we think we can deploy better than the index, better than the S&P 500 index. What he didn't say, which... I also I love how we just like decide what he thinks, but you know, <laughs> right? What he didn't say was I was thinking, if you put your extra money, it's one thing to put all of your money in the index and have that just be your one investing outlet, and you're not really uh, debating whether the index is going to do better or worse than companies you choose. But he is definitely choosing companies, like this is his entire thing. So he's not going to ever put all of his money in the index. So as somebody who would only put a portion of his, like his essentially available capital in the index, he would then lose whatever amount it went down right. when the market crashes, right. thereby foregoing any gain he would be able to have to buy companies when the market crashes. Exactly. And he didn't say any of that. And I was just like, what that's am i dumb like is this I'm, I'm it's so obvious to me like i don't understand why you wouldn't just explain that, that to so somebody genius but there are reasons not to not to explain it because he doesn't want uneducated investors out here trying to go buy stocks that they repeatedly say this is not easy to do you 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 if you don't work at it you're going to be unsuccessful and you're better off just being in the index. So if you go out and if Buffett were to talk down being in the index in great detail, i.e. you cannot produce great returns by being in the index. And absolutely you're right, Danielle. If I'm in the index and the market has this economic storm we're, we're, we see on the horizon, I'm down 50%. I can't get out. I'm huge. I get $50 billion in the end, 80 exactly. billion, 100 billion in the index. And, and then they're not poised to take advantage and I can't take advantage of anything which is the whole point of why he's piled up which all is this amazing money. that a shareholder would ask that question it's like do you not understand what Mr. Buffett does right it's like I'm baffled so I I, I love going to these meetings because you hear this kind of stuff and there was one more thing well, I thought that was really fun it's many more let's, things let's pause and let's come back next week and we'll finish up our description of what happened okay because there's so the many because cool there's enough left over yeah I think we're yeah. not going to get to it all in this episode yeah I'm excited to tell you guys more about it um, really some great stuff that, that you want to hear about, about, you know, a kid saying, Hey, or a guy in his twenties saying, Hey, I want to start my own fund. Oh yeah, that's right. How do I do it. God, yeah. And he, comments. he answered a question about Berkshire being an ESG company, like an impact company, socially right. conscious company that I oh, thought was super educational. So we'll get to those next week. 
You also can go and read all sorts of articles online about it, which I recommend that you do. And then we'll chat all about our opinions about those things next week. Okay, guys. Until then, time to go play. Thanks, everybody. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.